You're listening to the Laugh Factory Podcast Network. For more shows, visit the podcast page at laughfactory.com. Hey, y'all. It's Jackie Fabulous. Uh, Relatable is the name of this podcast. You can uh, hear us on iTunes, and we are recorded from the Laugh Factory on Sunset Boulevard in Hollywood. And a special treat today. It's just me. I call these episodes Just Jackie because I realize a lot of people don't know who I am or may care. And podcasts usually revolve around a lot of guests and a lot of, you know, anarchy in the recording room. And sometimes I've heard podcasts where it's just someone talking. For example, like Tony Baker and his uh, verbal cardio. He just talks about, you know, whatever he's talking about. I haven't listened to it yet, but he's a friend of mine, so I could not lie and be like, hey, I don't listen to your podcast at all, but I love you so much. And um, so I'm just going to every now and then just do Just Jackie because I'm not going to lie. I'm in the Laugh Factory podcast studio. I'm by myself. I'm going to talk for anywhere from five to six and a half hours. And I'm so, this is so like a dream come true. It was like a radio show. If I were to date myself, WKRP in Cincinnati, I'm like a disc jockey. Woo. No, I'm not 50, but my God, that reference is definitely going to make me seem as if I, uh, I'm still doing the running man. The first running man, the one you kids came up with was bullshit. We invented the first running man. Ask Hammer. Anyway, so uh, when are they going to release this? I don't know. Probably either today or in three weeks. But right now, what's happening, what kind of made a little bit of effect on me is last night or yesterday in the news, Demi Lovato, a popular uh, pop star, Latina pop star, quite popular, superstar actually. She's not like, you know, just starting out. She was uh, sent to the hospital or rushed to the hospital for an alleged drug overdose. And they said heroin. TMZ was, it looked like the first to announce rush to the hospital for heroin. And then a couple of hours later, TMZ was like, oh, my bad. It wasn't heroin. It was just some pill, some prescription drug, blah, blah, blah. TMZ, y'all are, y'all are quick on the draw. But then every now and then it's like, hey, y'all want to wait till you get some goddamn facts? But no offense, TMZ, because, you know, you guys, I've met a few of you, and you're nice, and you're doing your job, and people have their opinions about you, but, you know, essentially, paparazzi culture and celebrity culture, that's what we live in now, and that's what I want to talk about. The Demi Lovato thing kind of reminded me that we should all take it easy on the uh, celebrity worship, the fame whores that we've all become, or the following of, like, if you, every now and then I read a celebrity's, like, comments on her Instagram, and People are like, you're my idol. I would die if you died. I love you so much. You give me a reason to live, which makes sense if the person you're following is positive and gives you a good example. Because Demi, Demi Lovato, is it Demi? Oh, that's, I think that's Demi Moore. Demi Lovato has been very upfront about her addiction. I think she was a cutter also. like A lot of addictive things she's had to go through, and she's been in recovery on and off for a long time. And she did reveal she's been clean for about six-plus years. And fell off the wagon recently. And I, and here's the thing about this latest uh, thing with her. If she didn't overdose or allegedly overdose, we wouldn't even know that she's, you know, gone back to using. Sometimes an overdose is what you need to have happen to you and your family. And for the public to be like, oh, shit, they still get high? So, you know, shout out to Demi Lovato. I, I My prayers, I want you to get better. You got a lot of, I mean, quadrillions of young people who are loving, loving, loving you because you've been transparent with your relationships, body image issues, weight gain, weight loss, drugs. I mean, girl, you should be 60. The amount of things you go through, but when you live in the limelight, 
you know, sometimes, and I'll talk more about that. I'm not in the limelight, but you know, the more you do this, the more popular you can become or the bigger the disappointments become. So I just want to say, you know, she put a really good face on social media as a woman who was about helping everyone realize that they are amazing and worthy and God-given and blah, blah, blah. But she has demons that she's working through, working on, and we found out about a few of them yesterday. And just keep in mind, the people you may think got the perfect lives, like, for example, another friend of mine, Keon Poli, posted, he posts on his Instagram like a chart of celebrities who seem like they're living the best life and, you know, they're uh, a motivation for him and all that's great and everything, but... You know, I don't want, I don't even want you, Keon, to give the public the impression that these people are living their best life. You ever met, like, a celebrity? They, they're living the best life, but a lot of them have to live on some sort of substance to get, get through this best-ass life. Like, imagine when I get an early morning flight and I got to go somewhere, there are times where I wake up and I'm like, I will cancel this weekend. I don't want to wake up at 4 a.m. to leave my house at 5 to get to the airport by 6, it's just, and that's actually late. If you have a flight that leaves at 6 a.m., you got to leave your house at 4 a.m. So you got to get up at 3. So essentially you decide, guess what, I'm not going to go to sleep. There are times where I've been like, is there something I could take to wake my ass up? And I don't mean coffee, and I don't mean weed. I mean something that is straight upper. So sometimes these people that we worship, that we shouldn't be worshiping, is uh, they're not a good example of what the best life is. They're an example of what hard work can get you, but they're not an example of, you know, your best life. They're just celebrities, and they make a lot of money, and they're really popular. And, you know, I envy the ones who go on record and say, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't do any of that. But I don't believe them either. Imagine if I think I'm feeling pressure with just having to do five shows in Albuquerque, New Mexico. How do you think J-Lo, who, bitch, this woman... First of all, her birthday is recently, and I'm a huge fan, once again. I, I also fall victim to the celebrity-loving culture. But this bitch, if you, she has a show, World of Dance. She has Shades of Blue. She's doing concert tours in Vegas, making videos. She got kids and an ex-husband and a man. I mean, if anybody should qualify for something to wake me up and let it be a narcotic and let it be something that I cannot get over the counter. She's an example of somebody who would need something. And she goes on vacations, but she's also rich. And when I say rich, I mean probably billionaire status on her way to some way. Because when, you're, when you have money, you can have help. And, you know, so she probably has help and she can eight nannies, a nanny per kid. So just, just, just take it easy on the worshiping celebrities because they have a lot of problems. Trust me when I tell you. I don't know many of them. I've heard, you know, I've heard of some celebrities where they, they seem really wholesome and then you go to their house party and you're like, uh, is that heroin? Okay, guess what? Look at the time. Gotta go. So just don't, I want the world to just understand they are people. They are people. They poop. They have problems. They obsess about their text not being answered just the way we do. They look in the mirror and hate themselves and they have teams of people. Teams. If I book something, small commercial or something that's not going to last you know for long i i can get out my shower if i shower and put on a robe and go to set and tell them fix this and they will i can take off my robe they got an outfit for me they got a hair person there they got a makeup person there they got somebody at the omelet station or the truck outside that'll make you an omelet and bring it into you 
like the more famous or more popular you become, the, the less shit you got to do for yourself. So imagine someone who has everything at their disposal, fans all over the planet Earth, and they are still like, I need a, to take the edge off. I need a little bit of a high. So some of these people out there doing the jobs that make us so happy, we don't know what they take. There was a time where I thought Beyonce was just anti-drinking, anti-weed, anti-drugs, anti-anything that Jesus did not put down for her himself. And then when did she transition? She went from just wholesome, I want to be in love and maybe bootylicious was when she got kind of provocative. She went from that to drunk in love, fucking on the kitchen floor, talking about drinking and lemonade or Kool-Aid or whatever the hell aid that turned out was actually her husband's jizz. I mean, like she had a transition where I was like, oh, wait a minute, Beyonce getting lit? I thought she was anti all that stuff. She got drinking lyrics in all her songs now. She talks about bud and weed and stuff. So she's also someone who you think is perfect. But clearly every now and then she needs a cocktail. She needs to get high because the bitch puts out CDs or CDs or albums, whatever the hell they call now, with 47 songs on it. And she has 87 videos to correlate with every song. I don't even know how that works. And she got a husband, three kids, allegedly a fourth one on the way, a family she still has to exercise and wipe her ass when she poops. Like I'm saying, we are they are humans. So just to take it easy with the worship. But uh, I will say, I do kind of relate. Sometimes you don't want to feel. Like I am new to the world of uh, cannabis. And what's funny is that the only other, I've been in love maybe three times, but that is a loose, loose ass in love. But I really, 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 really cared for about three guys in my life. One of which was a pothead. And my was, I mean, he's a pothead right now, today, I'm sure. But mind you, he and I are around the same age. I met him when I was 18. He was getting high then. But when he and I got together, he told me he's been getting high since he was single digits. He says that he's a Rastafarian. He believes in that lifestyle. But, you know, I, the Rastafarian culture is real. And they do believe in, you know the natural herb to help them get through life. But if nothing else in your life seems like you got it together, then you were just a pothead. Like Bob Marley may have been, you know, king of the weed, but the man was also a talented musician who worked very hard for a very long time. So the pothead ex that I'm talking about, to this day, if I went to his house and said, let's watch a movie, he's going to dig through his uh, his uh, bureau drawers and he's going to pull out a VHS of Beverly Hills Cop. Like that's, weed has kind of stagnated his progress. And that's what I kind of, uh, I think I kind of noticed that when it comes to potheads nowadays, it makes you, it makes me, let's just talk about me. I'm not going to throw, throw anyone under the bus. I, um, it makes me very creative. Like I didn't know that it would do, I didn't know that it would open up my mind just in terms of jokes. I don't mean that I suddenly decided I wanted to go deep sea diving or I'm going to become a painter. I just mean, coming up with joke premises that I may have already had but didn't know how to elaborate on them. It just it just loosens up the blocks in your head. But I tend to only do it at night when I'm going to sleep because in the last like five years, I get up every night at 4 a.m. Don't know why. I ain't got to pee. Nothing's on my mind. I ain't got no, I have problems, but I don't have any problems that are big enough to make me not go to sleep. And at 4 a.m. every morning, for years, I'd wake up, pop up in my bed, and just lay there. 
And what's what's uh, replace that is I'll reach for my phone and then I'll get on my phone, Instagram, looking at crap, and then I'll be up from four to seven, not sleeping. So when weed came along, I'm like, all right, well, let me try the, the strains that put you to bed. So it has changed my life in that it literally knocks me out. It kills me. When I take weed at night, take weed, I sound like your grandma. When I smoke weed or take an edible at night, it kills me. Like I die and wake up in the morning bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and ready to go. It is the best sedative. One time my aunt gave me a, a sleeping pill because she takes medication for all kind of stuff. And she gave me a sleeping pill, and I took it, and it literally, it knocked me out. But when I woke up, I woke up like it was three days later, and I was groggy and irritable and still sleepy. And I'm like, are these what narcotics do? I don't like this. I don't want to wake up. And be like, oh, if I could just, if I could just get 11 more hours. Not like another hour. You know how you wake up and you're like, let me get one more hour. With prescription sleeping pills, I wake up like, I just need another day. Just give me a day. Where weed just, it turns me off, shuts me down. I sleep like a rock. And then literally at 7 a.m., 8 a.m., I pop up like a beaver looking for food in the forest. And it's just a... I got a phone call from a meeting I'm supposed to have. And uh, people kill me when they don't get back to you right away. You know? Yes. Okay, let me just text this person back. All right. Yeah. I think <laughs> when you meet, when you have a meeting set with somebody, you got to get that shit put together and organized before the day comes. I'm wearing, like, grown-up, I have a meeting clothes. And he's texting me now, like, hey, you want to do so-and-so? And I was like, you just hit me back now? But, yes, I do want to go. Anyway, so... But the thing with me and the cannabis thing is that it can, if I do decide to smoke it at home, and if that's like in the middle of the day, you know, at like 3 o'clock, I'm doing the laundry and ironing, I'll smoke something, it'll shut me down. It doesn't energize me. It makes me be like, oh, God, this laundry. I love doing laundry. I love doing whites. And then what happens is it takes me six and a half hours to do laundry when it should take an hour, if that. Or... You put the clothes in the washer. You should be able to put the clothes in the washer and go cook something to eat, go return some emails, go pluck out the hairs out your chin, go wash your hair. Like, you should be able to put clothes in the washer, but then go ahead and do other things because you're not in the washer with the clothes. It got the job. It's taking care of you. But with weed, sometimes I put stuff away to get done, and it takes all day. It slows me down. It makes me very uninhibited and creative, but it also makes me screech to a... uh, come to a screeching halt in terms of energy so I'm still trying to figure out what can I find what strains if you will (laughs) I'm a connoisseur that will wake me up and get me out there but the point of all of this is I understand what it means to not want to feel sometimes we does make you be like you got so much to do bitch if you don't and then you take a puff and you're like ah I could do it all tomorrow and then I'm emailing everyone like, hey, I'm sorry, my bad. I didn't, I didn't get the chance to read this, write that, get back to. I'm emailing all the excuses of, of things I'm supposed to do on my to-do list. And I didn't because I took a, a puff of some weird-ass made-up name strain. You know, like daydreaming by the ocean is an indica. I'm making it up. But they, where did they get these names from to begin with? What did I have? OG Kush? Well, we're in California, so I get the whole OG and the Kush thing, but. You know, funny about the guy, the pothead ex-boyfriend, he's in New York. And um, California, weed has been legal here for a minute. 
But even when it wasn't legal, it was medically legal. And in California, y'all are so laid back out here. It was legal. Let's just say it was legal. And I would go visit him. And we're having intimate, you know, beginnings. And I'm like, hey, how about we smoke together? And he'll be like, okay, uh, I'll go get some. And then we commence to what we were, whatever we were doing. And then I remind him, like, hey, remember that weed I requested? And it'll be like midnight, 1 a.m. And he'll get up, put on a black hoodie, go outside, uh, make a bird call sound from the corner, hide in an alley behind a store. I'm like, what are you doing? And he's like, you said you wanted weed. I'm like, I thought I wanted weed, not not uh, heroin. What do you do? You ain't got to do that no more. I feel like I'm trying to f- free a slave. Hey, baby, you ain't got to live like that no more. It's we free, Niall. And he's still living that life. So it's just I'm learning so much about the the culture of, I guess, drugs and the legal ones versus the non-legal ones, the celebrity culture and how people need to be numb. And I've had to be numb for a while and, I'm trying to figure out how to get out of the, the not wanting to feel. So that's why I kind of fell for Demi Lovato. Like, I want her to get better. A lot of young people worship her, like a lot of young people, and I want her to get better because they rely on her. I worked in a drug rehab facility once in New York, in Spanish Harlem, was or Harlem, Harlem, or the South Bronx, I don't know, somewhere bad, off of First Avenue and 19th. I remember I used to walk from the train. I used to take the, the five train from where I live, to the two, to the one, and then walk. And if you don't know New York, I'll explain to you. When you take the train on the east side, the streets are short. You know, the Lexington, the Park, 43rd, 52nd. The avenues are short. When you get over to the two train and the one train and the west side, which is what my job was, the walk from the train to the actual office building, four and a half days. The avenues on the west side, when you get in the first street, second street, and Broadway and blah, 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 it's it's far. So I had to walk really far from the train to this rehab facility. It was called Project Green Hope. I remember you guys. Project, is it still around? I have no idea. Don't really care either. But it was called Project Green Hope. It was on 1st and 19th, and it was a drug rehab facility for women only, and they could stay there if they had a nonviolent offense that they were arrested for or in jail for. But it had to be a drug-related uh, I guess offense, I guess crime, whatever. So my job was to, I had to go to Rikers Island, happy place, uh, once a week, maybe more, to visit the women who were there. You know, the court would give me a list of who's, you know, there for nonviolent offenses and go meet them and interview them and try and see if they were eligible to get out under the condition that they get out and go right into a rehab facility for 30, 60 or more days. And I would be the one to determine, in addition to the law, their lawyer and the judge, and we'd go in front of a judge and I would explain that, you know, they've been clean so-and-so, their offense was not violent. The lawyer would be my lead because I wasn't a lawyer uh, in New York State. I'm not a lawyer here. I'm a lawyer, but I, it's another long story. God, I could be talking for three hours. I went to law school, got a law degree. That makes you a lawyer, but you're not an attorney. You cannot practice law. I don't have a, a bar card in California. And in New York, I wasn't in any law school. I just worked in the legal field because I wanted to be a lawyer. Anyway, long story short, so I would interview these ladies and bring them to the drug rehab program. And when they got there, I was the court corrections and parole liaison. Oh, no, that is fancy. And I would take them downstairs to the basement area where they do the, the P tests and whatever. And I would require them to 
uh, get naked, take off all their clothes. I do the strip search, the uh, the cavity search, all that stuff. They had to bend and squat and cough to see if any uh, drugs fell out their booty or vagina. It was I was like a cop, and then I would do the paperwork, and then the prep, the people who worked there would get them, I guess, acclimated to the center and tell them the rules. And I'm gonna tell you that was a it was a re- rewarding job. The most rewarding part of it was when we had female, they're all female, when we had new clients who were there for crack or, you know, just heavy drugs. Nobody was there for anything less than was drugs that can kill you. And they would arrive, and they'd be 85 pounds, and they arrived. I remember there was one girl, a Puerto Rican girl named Jasmine. She got to the facility. She was 5'9", 5'10", maybe more. Big bitch. Beautiful girl. Skinny. 85 pounds, if that. The most pleasurable, rewarding part of this job was watching her get in there. We did the cavity surge. She was going through withdrawal because she was getting clean. I fucked up. She was mess. A total mess she was. And then to watch her go from 85 pounds and then getting clean and eating. So many women in this facility would arrive and they'd be so crackhead skinny. And I don't mean as a joke. I mean literally, quote unquote, crackhead skinny. And watching them eat. And eat and eat and get fat. I th- I think that's probably why I have a problem now with losing weight. I associate fat with health and wealth and loving yourself. And these girls, the one Jasmine, the Puerto Rican girl, she was 85 pounds, a tall stick. And I watched her just eat and get fat and happy. And she loves getting fat. She watched her ass grow. She would be like, hey, Miss Jackie, look at my ass. She wanted her ass to get big. She wanted her hips to spread out. She wanted her titties to come back. Because when she got lucid again, she's like, oh, I miss, you know, having flesh that is car- that has something inside of it besides bone and skin and sorrow and uh, heroin. And these women would get there and they'd be so skinny and they would just get so fat and excited. It was also a good source of comedy. I wasn't a comedian then, so I didn't know. But a lot of funny shit in a drug program. For example, <laughs> Getting jobs. A lot of these girls don't know what it's like. There was one girl, I forgot her name, so sweet. Short little black girl. Black woman. They were all women. They weren't girls. They were all grown. <laughs> they all had kids. If you want to understand the drug culture, get women who were moms recovering from drugs. All of these bitches had children. Like two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve, and more kids. Because the drug world, you're trying to, you're trying to survive. So you are, you're, you're having sex with whomever because you're trying to score money or drugs. So pregnancy is just a, a side effect of the drug world, a drug life. And one of these women had so many kids that were in the system, foster care or wherever. And when, when it became time to help her find these kids, when I tell you it was like trying to find Bigfoot, because she didn't know where they were, what they looked like. It was just, it was funny now looking back. But then it was funny then too, because something about a drug addict, they're hysterical people. And I'm not trying to say that it's funny to be on drugs. But the ones who are like, look, this is what it is. I'm trying to get my life together. The things they say, because they don't have any filter, literally. And um, this girl, we tried to find her kids. And she was like, look, I'm going to tell you all right now. I don't know where these mofos are. If you could find them, holler at your girl. I think I have two. I might have eight. I don't remember. Their names, I don't know. There was uh, Jeffrey. Or was it Jacob? I don't know. It was a David or was it Damon? She couldn't remember anything because she was just getting clean, just getting clear headed and just realizing, oh, yeah, 
I had a lot of kids come out of this hole. Let me remember, one was short or was she tall? One had brown eyes or were they hazel? She didn't know. So this working at this program, and this, I guess my whole t- bringing up Demi Lovato, it just reminds me of just, it's a different world when you rely on drugs to function. I have friends now who are in recovery that I got to remember. I, can, I tend to put alcohol like bourbon or wine or something, brandy, in food that I make and when I bake, especially because I'm Jamaican and we, I've been drinking white rum since I was, I was born and I would have breast milk and white rum. They put it in food. It's an ingredient. But now I got to remember when I cook and I spike my meals and I offer it to my friends, I got to remember, wait, wait a minute. He used to smoke crack. Oh shit. He'd been clean for two years. I'm going to ruin his life. This one's been clean for 26 years. I've almost sent some people back into the, the facility because I'm like, because I want to cook and I want to, you know, put shit in my food. And I forget that I can drink and whatever. But these guys, they have families and they're about to, you're about to make them relapse. Anyway, speaking of a, a drug addict that is hilarious. He may hear this. He may not. I don't know. Because re- I realize that this is a podcast. And if it's put online, that means the world. But there's a man who lives in my hometown of the Bronx who it seems like he's been getting high my whole life. And this man, I think he's in his 60s or almost 60. I won't say his name, but if you listen to this and you are related to me or know me, you know who I'm talking about. This guy was just, he can still hop a fence. And if you are from anything hood or anything old school, old school neighborhood, you know, you don't climb a fence. You don't try and get over a fence. <laughs> if you're a person of color, you hop a fence. And this dude could still hop a fence. And when I go home now to see my mother and I see him and he smiles, this, this dude, he may be three teeth. He may have a strong four. There may be one in the back I don't see, like a, a, a molar back there. But I tell you that this man has been doing whatever drugs since I was in single-digit ages, like six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And he's strong with it. He's good at it. Like, and he, I think he does all the all the drugs, the hard stuff, but he has a place to live. You know, he stays in his parents' house because his parents are still alive and kicking and healthy. He got two beautiful daughters and a beautiful ex-wife. I mean, the man has had a life. But I feel like if you want to learn how to do drugs and not overdose and not die, you should holler at this dude. I don't think he's giving seminars, but next time I see him, I'm like, you should do a podcast. And you should just call it How to Get High and Not Get Caught. <laughs> Because this dude, he was incredible at it. And the thing is that he has a skill, a trade. I'm not going to say because I don't want to really give it away. But he can fix stuff. He's handy. But the trick with him being handy or the risk is that if you let him in your house, you may lose a watch. <laughs> He'll come in and rewire or build a shelf or move stuff around. He's very intelligent and very skilled. But if you have a laptop that's left out, I'm just saying, he, has a, he, can, he can hide it. I think he stole my bike. We had a ten. I I had a ten speed bike. This is the last bike I bought because I have not had the heart. I'm still angry. I had a ten speed bike. A rally, if y'all remember, it's R A L E I G H. Very popular bike brand. And I used to be a tomboy. Still am, but you know I don't care anymore. But back then, I bike riding, roller skating, sports. Not really sports, sports, but you know I could throw a ball around and maybe hit a basket. And uh, it's just back back in the day. I had my 10 speed in the garage and my mother and father left to go run some errand 
and it didn't lock the garage. And I, I, I could swear to you, I remember hearing the garage slightly open. I remember when it, it was lost. And when they came back, opened the garage to put the truck back in, the bike was gone. And what's funny is that my mother and father did not get excited or upset. They were, they're dead inside. They were just like, well, you know, they kind of have this mentality of, well, you know, this is what happens. We live in the Bronx and, you know, we, we know of our neighborhood uh, drug addicts and this is the risk. Like, it still happens. My mother has a tendency to, not, well, I shouldn't put her on, throw her under the bus because I think I may have made the same mistake, where I had to tell her, stop leaving uh, loose change in the car. My father, rest in peace, Lincoln Champagne, he died a year ago. He would leave what seemed like enough money to put me through college in the car, in quarters. I don't know what the fuck was, is he, were you going to an arcade? I don't know what all this change was for. He didn't, you know, for parking? Don't nobody need that much change in their car because you park. And I live in L.A. and I audition a lot. And I may have $7 occasionally in my purse in quarters, if that. That's actually quite high. My father had at least a good eighty-six dollars to $8,400 in quarters. I don't know why. And leave it there. And because, he, and because he has a car alarm, he's like, well, you know, the car has an alarm. Sweetie, no, don't no real skilled drug addict or criminal got a problem with a car alarm. They can pick a lock, open the car doors, get in there, get their shit undetected. So bottom line is, I don't know. What the hell was I saying? My, this guy I'm talking about, he's a, a real person who does drugs. You don't know about it. You can't prove it. Even if they seem high, when a person is committed to the drug life, you just don't really know they're doing it. And Demi Lovato probably surprised a lot of us in that these headlines made us all like, I thought she was clean. I didn't know she was still using. She's going to get judged. A lot of parents are like, all right, well, this person is off your role model list because she's still getting high. But life is difficult, and sometimes people need to medicate to function and to move on. So that's my whole drug spiel. And uh, I'll be going home again soon, and this guy in my neighborhood, he's always there. You know what's funny? Last time I saw him... He sees me and he gives me a hug and everything. But when he sees me and hugs me, he grabs my hand first to shake it. And then he turns it over to look at the watch I have on. Now, mind you, I got on some cheap watch. But he's looking at it like as if to say, oh, okay. I, I may or may not break into her bedroom later. Or, you know, I just want to see if, I, if she's a candidate for thievery. It's fascinating to watch. But, you know, that's just the life from the BX, which I'll be going home uh, soon. Another reason I think I may have tried or gotten into cannabis is my father's death. And I've never, I don't really talk about it. And even if I have a little joke on stage, I don't get into it. My family, they don't really, my mother, aunt, and sister, they go over, they go, they, when they talk about it though, when my mom talks about it, she and I can laugh about funny things and go over the memories. Because she's my mother. It's a different connection with my mother, because I came out of her. My dad was her life partner for 49 years. So when I talk to her about him, it is a sadness, but it feels good. Does it make sense? It's a sadness that is kind of like, remember when he would, you know, sit at this chair and he wanted his oatmeal or his oats this way, like his porridge that way. We would just, we'd talk about it. We kind of would cry inside. My aunt and sister, they are more of the breakdown and hysterically cry at the thought of it. And that's because they have been around him more than I have. Even though he was my dad, I moved out when I was 30. And that was, you know, quite some time ago. I've been in California since 2000. 
And up until I moved out, I want to say that he was a good father because he was present. That's it, though. He didn't go to any of my functions. He didn't really support anything I did. Didn't understand it. Didn't believe in it. He was kind of lazy. But, you know, he was a good dad because every day of my life when I came home, he was there. Every morning, he was there. And I think when he died, I kind of was like, I need to try something just to calm myself down. Because when he died, and to give credit to the pothead in New York, the ex-boyfriend, he was there the whole time. All the, the wake, the funeral, my needing to hug and just lay around and lay on someone's chest and just cry. So he's not a bad person. He's just not the man for me. So I just want to say shout out to, you know, him. He'll never hear this because he doesn't have a cell phone that's reliable or a laptop or Wi-Fi. This nigga's broke. But the point is, he does get credit for being a good person when I needed him to be. And I think I probably looked in the cannabis just to try and figure out a way to numb the fact that I was like, your dad's gone, girl. Like, you have one parent. You know how hard it is to be on stage? You probably do because you're not, you know, a comic, but I'll tell you. As a comic who gets on stage with a lot of my parents this and my parents that, to remember to go from that to my mommy and to forget about the S on the parents because I'm like, you only got you only got one parent. How do you all, how do you guys who have lost a parent change that vernacular from going from saying mom and dad and parents to one parent? That shit is I want to cry right now. It's just so hard. He was 80 when he died. He had Parkinson's. But I feel like he got diagnosed with Parkinson's and just died immediately. Although my family who will say, bitch, you are in California. We're the ones who have been dealing. That's the thing. I didn't live in, I have not lived at home for a long time. And he and I were not close, but I could tell that he loved the shit out of me and vice versa. You ain't got to be best friends with your parents. You just got to respect them. Know that you will take a bullet in the face for them or shoot somebody in the face for them and love them. That's a wonderful quote. I was watching Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee. Uh, you know who's the, who show that is. It's uh, Seinfeld on Netflix. And he was talking to John uh, John Maloney, Moroni, Moraney. He's a, a white male comic. You all know who he is. And he was saying how he and his wife are enjoying not having kids. And I get it. I don't have kids. Because it just didn't turn out that way. I did want badly at one point, but the, the feeling has, has faded. And he was saying to Jerry, I don't know what I would say to a kid. And Jerry was like, what type of nonsense? It's not like you're going into an interview, like, what do I say to this guy? It's a kid. And the guy's like, well, I don't know what they need. And Jerry's like, all they need is you. And John was like, that is so sweet and so deep, but it is. My fa- I, didn't need nothing f- I didn't need anything from my father but him for him to be around. I think that's why I'm insane now, but it's a healthy, well-adjusted, well-rounded insane. Because I was brought up by two parents and I've had a, a boyfriend, meaning my father, it sounds gross, but he's the one man who's been in my life since I was born until last May. The last May? Yes, the most consistent man in my life. I just started feeling single when he died. That makes sense? Raise your hand if it does. Like, I have never felt single until now. Because I've always been like, yeah, well, you know, he didn't work out, but I got my father. Even though he and I were not close, it was still, I have a man in my life. So I don't have to tolerate this asshole because I need a daddy figure. I got a daddy. I don't need to date this dick. This is why I don't have any heartbreaking stories. I don't have any stories of being left 
or any man dumping me really or vice versa because it's like I've always had a man in my life. I've never had that void that I tried to fill with some asshole. And now, you know, I'm too old to get fooled now. This is, I think this is something that people don't realize. As smiley and as positive and as happy as I may seem, and I'm essentially a, a happy person, I cannot be bullshitted. I can't be scammed. Don't get it twisted. My hugs and flirtation and inappropriate text. I am a very fun-loving person, but, you know, I'm a hardcore, hard-ass West Indian American New Yorker. And when I meet a guy that I can tell is going to just waste all types of my time, I say a prayer immediately. I'm like, God, you know I need help. You know that I, I like pretty things. I like pretty men. I love, I love men so much. And you know that I'm, I'm lustful first. I, get, I go for the flesh first. And I'm like, God, you know that I'm not going to be of my right mind. I'm not going to be coherent. Help me to realize, hey, this guy is cute and all, but, you know, I'm going to let you hit it, but I'm going to let him quit it. I'm going I'm to quit it for you because you don't have common sense when it comes to men. And I'm going to remove this guy if he is not of uh, pure intentions. And when I tell you that God will put some fine-ass men in my path and he'll let me have them for a month, he'll let me have them, like, for a hot weekend. I've had so many, like, vacation flings, not sex, just meeting a guy and we connect and we get attached. And I have guys in my life now, we never were intimate, but we, when we met, we fell in platonic love, inseparable, couldn't be away from each other. I've gotten men's girlfriends and wives been like, who the fuck is this Jackie? Are you fucking her? And every guy's like, I'm not. And she's like, then why in the hell? And these guy's like, I just want to be around her. So I kind of attract men in that regard. But, you know, I'm just saying I can't be scammed when it comes to men. And I think it's because I had a daddy. And I still do. He's still around. I wear his ring every day. But anyway. Woo! I talked about a lot of shit. Drug abuse and... Drugs overall and the drugs from my neighborhoods in the Bronx and Demi Lovato and celebrity worship and my introduction to cannabis and how I'm trying to figure out how to find a strain that'll let me get high at three o'clock but get back to work at four as opposed to getting high at three and going to bed and waking up the next day like, oh, I guess that day is a wash. What? And no one told me that weed can, I thought that was, I thought that was real drug that knocked you out, but weed can knock you out. Anyway, I had something else I wanted to talk about before I go, but I cannot fucking remember. I'm at that age now where you walk into a room and you're like, ah, what'd I come in this room for? There is something I wanted. Anyway, guys, I wanted to do this where you guys sent me some questions. You had advice you were seeking. And uh, if you, when you listen to this podcast, this is the Just Jackie episode. Listen to it. Get to know me. See if you have any questions, feel free to email me or direct message me. Uh, my Instagram handle is at Jackie Fabulous. It's also the handle for Twitter and Facebook. I think Tumblr, maybe LinkedIn, YouTube page. Like I got in early. Like if I try to get Jackie Fabulous now, they'd be like, bitch, there are 17 drag queens with Jackie Fabulous. You cannot have it. I got in at the ground on, on the ground level. So it's easy to find me. If you want a central location to look for me, you can just go to JackieFabulous.com, my website. It links to everything. 
And um, or you can email me, Jackie Fabulous Comedian. That's all one word, Jackie Fabulous Comedian at gmail.com. And hit me up there. That is my actual email address. My cell phone is no. <laughs> you st- are you crazy? I'm not giving you my cell. But go to my email, email me questions. I want to start, I want to start getting guests that are have some expertise in self-help and self-worth and confidence. Anthony Robbins and up. Anthony Robbins up this podcast because I like to give advice. I get asked for advice a lot. And I realize that while I love comedians, I want to expand and get some people who know how to deal with what we deal with, which is depression, being feeling defeated, drug abuse, alcohol abuse, recovery, body image, you know, friends, lack of friends, love, lack of love, sex, lack of sex, companionship, lack of companionship, like how to get them. Not that I know, but you know, I'm always trying. I'm an expert because I'm always seeking. I haven't accomplished a lot of what I want to accomplish, but I am always, always, always looking. I'm a student of everything. A student of stand-up, a student of of God, of Jesus, a student of people, a student of being a woman, because I'm surprised of how hard it can be slash how easy it actually is in relationships and how I'm in one now with the same man I've been on and off with for six years. And it feels like it might actually be on now. This might be it, guys. I might have found the man that I want to drink scotch with on a porch in the South in the summertime, looking out at the kids uh, going back to school and saying, oh, look at, look at Susie. She's going to be a little hoe, isn't she? And just laugh with my husband about that. And uh, so we're working on that. So I'm new to healthy relationships because I'm always in and out of some bullshit fling where the guy wants to, you know, he wants the milk, but he don't want to buy. But I was giving the milk away. I'm trying to lock the milk up. I'm trying to take my nice, delicious almond milk, sweetened maybe vanilla, and only give it to those who deserve it. And that's going to take a lot of work because I, and I'm, I'm so into the guy that I'm with now, I actually stop sexting. I stop sexting or even just texting, hey, boo, or, hey, Gord, whatever. I stopped all that. And y'all may not know, you probably don't, for me to stop the inappropriate communication that nobody else can see but me, dude, I clearly am trying to grow up. And I have to because I have a family and I want to take care of. I do want to be in love. I want some cats. I want some dogs. A couple of fish. I wouldn't mind a bird. Maybe even a ferret. Some rabbits. I would love some chickens. I just want I want a life. I don't just want to be on this hustle to try and get a TV show and blah, blah, blah. I want a full life. And I'm, I'm working towards that. And I'm getting there. And y'all are helping me by listening to Relatable and subscribing and liking and giving me your opinion. And if you love it, I love you. If you don't love it, I don't give a fuck. But I'm not going to stop. So JackieFabulous.com for all my Instagram and Twitter. Email JackieFabulousComedian at gmail.com. My next shows, I will be out of the country. July 31st, I am going to Dubai to perform at the Laughter Factory. Isn't that fantastic? I'm currently at the Laugh Factory. No E-R. But I'm going to be at the Laughter. L-A-U-G-H-T-E-R. Laughter Factory in Dubai and Dubai adjacent. I think eight shows, maybe ten shows. The cities I'll be in, I don't know. I can't pronounce them. The website, though, or just Google the laughter 
factory and it's in Dubai and that'll you'll see my picture my show times come out to the shows you guys in Dubai it would be my first time in Dubai and I hear that it is hotter than a hooker's crotch at Fleet Week I am so worried because I'm in California now and it is 100 and fuck you degrees every day here and my friends are like well if you think it's hot here you about to go to where it's hot for a living so I got to figure out, you know, black girl magic, get braids, whatever I'm going to do. I don't know what I'm going to do. Chunky girl, I got to take, take my arms out and put on a halter. I got to, you know, get real with it. But anyway, I said goodbye six times. Guys, thank you for listening to Relatable with Jackie Fabulous. I love you. Holla at your girl.